Where were you when Tanner Lee threw his fourth pick six? Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. That is a discussion we will answer, and a question I should say we will answer today, among many others, as we break down that Wisconsin game that was in... Look forward to the Ohio State game and its 24-and-a-half-point line that is this weekend. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts and Christofferson here at HuskersIllustrated.com North Studios. Uh, guys, how are you How are you doing on this Wednesday morning? We listened to a little Dido. I think everybody's a little pumped up right now. Well, it was, it was a conversation that started about Eminem and devolved into your love of Dido. Again, I, I feel like there's <laughs> and you're getting really defensive about it. Creative uh, liberties you're using in this conversation, but sure. And Schaefer also asked, uh, like, where I was when NWA dropped their first album. Like I was, like I'm 55 years old. I yeah. thought it was 1990, and I thought you were 10. <laughs> I was, I was seven. What was it like when the Beatles went on Ed <laughs> Sullivan for the first time? <laughs> Better was yet, it the when same? They came to America. Yeah, was it the same as as NWA dropping uh, straight out of Compton? Did the uh, when the Beatles first arrived? Did did the males dislike them intensely because all the females liked them so much? You know, kind of like when I was a kid, you were kind of down on like New Kids on the Block <laughs> or um, you know In Sync or something because because girls around you liked them and you're like ah, they're not that good, you know. Was that was that the tagging on the Beatles right away? I I would it would be hard to think not until they, they like went in like the psychedelic period, yeah. right? Like and you're when, like, okay, I can kind of respect these guys. Yeah, th- these guys drop acid. Like that's yeah. cool. Here's a, <laughs> you don't think there's a lot of guys fired up about I want to hold your hand? <laughs> I just I no. can't imagine it. No, I mean I enjoy it now. Like kind of. Yeah, no, I, I agree. As an oldie, but who enjoyed a, a more? Has there ever been a celebrity who has enjoyed more of a dramatic shift from like? completely unlikable for a segment of the population to like universally loved in the same way that Justin Timberlake has. Cause I feel like he's kind of like, yeah, but he made trouble with the curve and it's just a terrible, terrible movie and he's terrible in it. It's just, this is fallen your hatred of all thing, all baseball movies. So you hate baseball movies. Uh, have you seen that movie? I have not. It is. I also a, haven't seen Fever Pitch. I, mean, I also haven't seen For the Love of the Game. Well, I I haven't seen Fever Pitch either. It seemed like one that was pretty easy to avoid, in my opinion. Trouble with the Curve is one of the worst movies ever made. You mean you've seen it? Yeah. Did you see it in a theater? I watched it after a Nebraska game in like 2011, 2012, sometime around then. <laughs> do you remember, <laughs> do you remember, remember. which one? <laughs> I don't. I had this like Nebraska games would get done and we'd get home at like 12 or. One in the morning, and this was when I like wasn't going to bed until four a.m. And so I'd stop and grab a movie from Redbox, and <laughs> I grabbed Trouble with the Curve, and it was terrible. <laughs> what, I wanted my dollar back. What movie? I did, went and I returned it that night. I was so mad. What movie did you pass by to go with Trouble with the Curve? I don't know. Probably the Gray. <laughs> well, I you, you probably could have doubled down and just gotten both. I suppose. Well, you think I had two dollars at the time? I work in the media. That's, that's true. Uh, man, that that was, we're off the rails here already, and we're three and a half minutes in. But it started when I watched Karate Kid last night, but I I won't go at length about it. The original one, yeah. Um, I, I and I looked it up. Roger Ebert gave uh, Karate Kid four stars. Wow. Yeah. Like he, on his initial, he review? said it was one of the best movies of 1984. I read this last. D- night. Does it hold up? 
I didn't think so, but I mean, I was kind of at the ending scene. I mean, I was still pumped when <laughs> when Daniel did the crane, you know, where he's he's hurt because the Black Cobras are. Uh, I think that was the name of the other karate group. That was they were doing dirty tricks. I mean, they intentionally hurt Daniel. Yeah. So you're still fired up, even though you knew the crane was coming. I got I got excited. Like I was in the kitchen and was kind of listening, and I knew it was arriving. So I walked out and like stood to watch the scene. So I was I was kind of fired up. Heart rate got a little fast. A little bit. Nice. Elizabeth Shue is in that movie. Young Elizabeth Shue, but I won't. Is that how you recovered from uh, the United States being eliminated from World Cup? Yeah, I'll I'll tell you one. I'll get this off my chest real quick about this. Um, is that okay? Get it I off. just don't like. I know there's people listening here. They don't like soccer, and I. I mean, I follow the national team. Why do you got to go out of your way to just say you hate soccer? Like I don't go out of my way to say the stuff I hate. Let's just be a little kinder. Let people enjoy stuff they enjoy. Is That's there, my message of the day. That's a spreading a message of love and hope. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Yesterday's message was do a good turn daily. <laughs> Joke fell flat. Didn't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what about, what about I, pretending like you're one of those calendars that you ah uh, okay. oh. that you have an inspiring? Yeah, it didn't work. It. I mean, um, my my humor wanna, is just you want to well turn to the Wisconsin game. Segway. There you go. It's yeah. been a while. Yeah. He was throwing some dirt on that terrible joke too. By the way, <laughs> it was, I, was it was, I thought it was going to land. I figured I was it was trying to have a sprint away from it. If one person lasts on the podcast, it'll it'll work. There's a bunch of people right now just staring there with their palms up in the air <laughs> with their be. listening device right now. You're probably wondering when we're going to talk about Nebraska football instead of delaying this whole thing. I suppose we should probably get into it. It is six minutes in. Which part of that game do you want to start with first? Should we go chronologically? Yeah. All right. Well, what you, would you think of the third and two play call that resulted in a 70-something yard interception return? No, 80? 80-something? 80 it, was, it was in the 70s. I... I'll probably piss people off more than saying that I like soccer by saying that I I actually didn't hate the play call. Like, third and two, they were in man coverage. Yes, you were moving the ball pretty much at will on the ground. Yes, an equally better or probably better play call would have been to hand the ball off there on third and two. But when you've run that play so many times in practice that week as Nebraska had against man coverage, you expect that play to work. Like they said that they'd never had anything go wrong. Um, you know, then Tanner Lee drills Divina Zigbo in the helmet and they're off to the races. So, And the ball goes up instead of going down. Right. I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things again this year where it's like the worst possible thing that could happen happened. Um so I, I don't hate the play call. The result is terrible, um, but you know, it, it, I mean, the, there were any number of issues in that game besides that play call. Were you going to say it is what it is? No, I it was felt not. like you were leaning towards saying it is what it is. No, I, I don't. Uh, I'm not going to go that route. Uh, I, I'm with you. I thought the play call was fine. The execution of it was poor. Uh, I think that if that play goes the way that it's supposed to. Uh, there's nobody on the edge over there, and that's a touchdown. So, I mean, that's what you're you're trying to accomplish. They basically felt like against the defense that pretty stingy against a run on third and two. They're looking for the run. They go with the pass. 
it backfired in a big way on him. I mean, that didn't cost him the game. It didn't help. To me, more of the not being able to move the ball every time you cross a 50 for your first six drives is is a bigger deal. I mean, that's they struggled so much when they would cross the 50-yard line to even just get in a scoring position for Drew Brown to attempt, and then the first shot that he got, he missed. So uh, it was a very frustrating half from a um, efficiency standpoint and an execution standpoint, I would imagine, for Danny Langston. And, I mean, your playmakers at some point just have to rise up when those moments are there. And that's that's been a, a failure for Nebraska so far this year. It's not that some guys haven't played, made some big plays, like Stanley Morgan making an 80-yard touchdown. But you think about opportunities beyond the pick six that Nebraska blew in that first half alone. I think of the inside screen to J.D. Spielman on a third and nine on about the 45 of Wisconsin. That was a great call. And on the press box, I think you'd all agree with me, it looked like he was Spielman when he caught it. You thought he was going to get about 20 or 25 yards, if not take it to the house. Mm -hmm. But Tanner Farmer didn't quite get the block he needed. It was that one block that was missing. And Spielman probably could have taken a little bit better route on that one, I think, if he did it again. And so there, there's a that's just one play where it's like, oh, they got four yards in the stat sheet, but that's th- those are game-turning type of plays. And then I think of the play where Pearson L has the ball in his hands. It would have been about a 45-yard touchdown as well. Um, he was double-covered. It wasn't just a routine catch. Um, there was a distraction as he was going up for the ball, but he had the thing in his hands. The ball got there. And it bounced off, and that's a touchdown. And – for this team that has basically no margin for error the rest of the way and hasn't, um, those are the type of things. There are always like three or four plays in a game where they are there for you to make, and if you make them, you might be on the other side of this thing, and Nebraska's not making them. I keep going back to me. So they get that interception from Aaron Williams. They tie the game 17-17, kick the ball off, absolutely lay out the Wisconsin kick returner. He fumbles because he just gets hit perfectly with the helmet into the ball. Instead of just your routine ball comes out where there's about six Nebraska players right around him, it shoots all the way across the field to this one random Wisconsin guy who happens to be on the far edge towards the sideline. It's just like those are the kind of breaks that Nebraska hasn't gotten a lot this year. They they make a big play in the interception. They make a follow-up big play on that huge hit. There's, you know, penalties coming in. Wisconsin, regardless of whether you get that fumble or not, Wisconsin goes all the way back to the nine and then proceeds to drive 91 yards on Nebraska, including a third down play in which they were essentially running a pick off of the, the ref. Boodle stumbles yeah. slightly. And they turn it into a 31-yard. It just felt like when they forced that fumble, when the penalty, it felt like Nebraska was going to be ready to turn this thing into Wisconsin's nightmare, and they just weren't able to do it. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's not to absolve Nebraska either. For you know, the in the first half, you get this. Yeah, they should have been up this long touchdown pass to Stanley Morgan. Everybody's <laughs> rocking and rolling, and then the first play from scrimmage, it's like. 75 yards the other way. I mean, it's those types of things where, you know, it, it feels like at times when Nebraska's had chances to get momentum or they've gotten it, 
they haven't been able to keep it. Like, you even go back, it, it felt a lot like that Northern Illinois game where you, you think that Nebraska might pull this escape and, and have the win, and then they give up a huge pass play. Like, it's at some point I wonder if mentally players are almost kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. I, I don't know that. Well, or if they can't handle the swings. Right. That, you know, you you have this elate, you know, this great moment with this wide receiver, you know, Stanley Morgan making a great play, great block down the field by Tyjon Lindsay. The crowd is into it, and they're they're feeling really good. And then, like you said, just one, it took one play, one bust, and it was 75 yards to the house. Yeah, there's been three plays I can think of right away that have really put this Nebraska season – uh, where it is right now. And the one was what Bruns was getting at against Northern Illinois. The uh, long pass over Eric Lee on the defense right after you, you, you take the lead in the fourth quarter. That swings the game the other way. There's a big run right after Stanley Morgan's touchdown. And then there's that third and four uh, you were talking about with the ref, kind of using the ref. And I'll tell you what, not to make this all about officials, but Luke Gifford got held on that play pretty good. He got pulled down right as he was at Horner Brooks' feet. That would have been a big flag in that game. But the bottom line is Nebraska just has not been able to get off the field in those moments when it matters the most, and and that's what's disappointing, really. Because I know some people look at football sometimes and say, well, it wouldn't have mattered. Wisconsin just crushed them the rest of the game. I mean, why are you looking at one or two things? I've always been a believer that football games, especially at college, have such emotion involved with them that they swing so dramatically just by, like, one defensive stop. Or, and I, if Nebraska gets off the field tied at 17 on that possession after the Williams pick and gets the ball back on Saturday, I, that game goes to the wire. I mean, that it would have been interesting. But they didn't, They and they haven't. I mean, you could even – Again, I mean, you, you can could have, would have, should have this to death, but I mean, you let's say you get that that Morgan touchdown, you either force a three and out or you, you go into halftime with it, kind of status quo. Ten seven, yeah. Um, you know that that's a different ball game, I and mean, even even that opening drive. I mean that that was a a statement drive by Nebraska that ended up essentially a, a fourteen point swing. I mean, it it just. You wonder how the game would have changed had Nebraska just gone in mm-hmm. there and crammed in a touchdown because it just. But that's I mean that's a Mike Riley era as a whole right now. You wonder, right? You don't know anything. I mean nobody knows other than just the results haven't been what people would hope for. But there's just so much what if right now that it's it, it seems inconceivable that all of these things happen in the same season, let alone in the first six weeks, uh, or. Yeah, six weeks. So, I mean, it's it's remarkable that they're at this spot. There's one thing I want to jump into before we move off of this discussion. I want to ask you guys how you felt about Nebraska's end-of-the-half management because they gave up that touchdown. They came back. They drove. They are getting in position for a field goal. There's about 19 seconds left on the clock when I think they, they went for it to get the first down on a, on a third-and-one sneak if I have the – the plays memory. Yeah, they got they got the first with 16 seconds. That's when the clock stopped. And then they didn't clock it. They were going to call a play, 
And then Wisconsin ends up taking a timeout because they had a guy on the field. Because Wisconsin was as surprised as all of us that they're running a play. They thought Nebraska's going to clock it, and then they could sub out. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they had to use a timeout. But, yeah, there was 11 seconds left when that happened. So five – You the way the clock probably would have went if you spiked it really quickly, it would have been at 14, I bet. Because usually, you know, they another second ticks off after you spike it. So they probably lost three seconds there. And three seconds are pretty valuable at that point. I always, get, I always get a little freaked out, too, when you're down around 10 seconds left, too, because you're, you're inviting the 10-second runoff, right. too, for a penalty. Right. And, and that's – I was shocked that they ran a play um, to begin with on that out to Ozigbo. Like, I don't think they had enough time to really get something in the end zone anyways, which is the only reason that you run that play in the first place, I think, is to give yourself a chance at a score there because it's not like you – Langsdorf said they practiced that situation a bunch, and I really wanted to get him to tell me how many seconds are on the clock when they're doing that because six seems really small. And, I mean, one freak blow-by on, a, on an offensive lineman is a sack. And, I mean, you don't have a timeout. So the f- I, I really didn't understand – the the justification of trying i mean he, he basically said that they practice this they they have something in there that if there's a look for a quick touchdown you go for it if not you dump it off or throw it away uh and you do it within you know four to five seconds they did it within four to five seconds <laughs> but divino zigbo stepped out while trying to cut back into the field yeah he would have been down in play and it would have been a disaster and they would have got booed off the field I mean, that's what would have happened. Yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> you are inviting disaster for any number of reasons on that play, not yeah. to mention the the rain well, of booze. You're on the 14-yard line, too. It's it's a different matter if you're, like, inside the five. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can get that quick play the receiver. Well, you have more, you have more route options. Yeah. I mean, here you're basically like, oh, if they don't cover this seam or it go, I mean, but, you don't have... Basically, Wisconsin knows, okay, yeah, you have six seconds. You're throwing it up for Stanley Morgan to get a jump ball. Just yeah, put two guys on him, and that's what happened. And then, yeah, I think you just throw the ball away there if you're Lee, though. You're you're just messing around giving it to Ozigbo there. But the clock management's been an issue for this staff. Um, there's no question about it. It's not just this game. There's been other instances where there's been stuff that's been curious and uh, – Something that really needs to improve. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. All right. Um, Ohio State comes to town. And another top 10 team, I believe. This one with uh, a fringe Heisman hopeful candidate in JT Barrett. A uh, new and improved offense under Kevin Wilson. Paris Campbell is Curtis Samuels. And a defensive line that is by far the best Nebraska will play this year. What uh, what stands out as you as you assess this competition? Uh, this game looks terrible on paper for Nebraska. I mean, that's what stands out. There's not a matchup I point to that I really like for Nebraska in this game. Um, part of it is – also part of it is JT Barrett. I don't think he's – if you can make it a game where he has to throw the ball – 10 to 15 yards down the field and that's how they have to live like he had to do against Oklahoma 
you're in pretty good shape because I think he's he struggles there, and that's a big uh, hole in his game. But I think Ohio State's got so many weapons on the outside that they can just get the ball to those guys in space without making JT Barrett have to be Mr. Accurate in this game. And then the other part is they haven't seen a guy like him quite who has that mobility to extend plays and then becomes – another threat where he can just take off and go get 20 yards with his feet if everything breaks down. So this this game presents a lot of problems. And then you just wonder about Nebraska's mindset. Football is a game you have to be completely motivated to play well. And right now you're three and three. Everybody's kind of picking on you, asking these big picture questions. And it, it's a, probably a bit of a grind right now that they got to fight through. So it, it, this is there's a lot of big questions you wonder about this team. I I keep wondering. Like, let's say Nebraska plays, puts it puts it together on both sides of the ball for the first time in this game. Plays a perfect game. Is that still enough to win? I mean, like you you look at the games that Ohio State has lost, and they've all been low scoring games. The defense is going to have to play, you know three levels probably above what they played in the second half against Oregon. Um, And then you're also introducing the quarterback run game, which you mentioned, which is a wrinkle that Nebraska hasn't seen yet. They're going to have to tackle in space, which they've done okay at at times. But I think the secondary is a little suspect. And you've got Antonio Reed and Aaron Williams who are beat up. It sounds like Aaron Williams is going to play. But, um, you know, it's just hard to – find a recipe in this game that ends with Nebraska winning. I mean, I, I just – it's bad to say that, but, I mean, that 24-point that yeah, spread under, is there yeah, for a reason. It's going, a take a perfect, it's going to take a perfect game. And I, and I don't even know if at that point it's still going to be a close one. I mean, to me, the only chance they have of winning this is they have to force multiple turnovers. You would have to control tempo – on your offense to where you're efficiently driving the ball multiple times down the field, using a lot of clock, using a lot of plays, which is converting a lot of third downs, something Nebraska hasn't done a great job of this year. So, I mean, it, it would it would be so many factors for it all to come together. It would just be kind of ridiculous. Now, on top of that, what BC talked about 10 minutes ago, you need guys that have to make plays. And, and Nebraska hasn't done that much all year. I mean, there's been moments where guys have stepped up big, but there's been a lot of times where they haven't. And, you know, it, it can't be just a freak Stanley Morgan 80-yard touchdown. It's got to be Tyler Hoppus making a key third-down grab when the ball hits him right in the hands, even if the defender's there a little bit early. It's got to be the offensive line holding a block just long enough to spring Devino Zigbo for the extra six yards he need to keep the drive so that way you're now in field goal position as opposed to punting from the 40-yard line, and Caleb Lightborn sends it into the end zone for a 20-yard touchback. So it, there's been so many moments this year where they haven't done that that it's, it's, it's impossible to envision why it would all come together against arguably the most talented team on your schedule and certainly the most talented team you've faced to this point. The thing that was most discouraging, I think, for the fan base about what happened and now what worries them going forward is I think there is a belief, and I kind of held it myself going into the Wisconsin game, that the front seven for Nebraska was going to hold up pretty well 
and that those guys, not that they'd arrived by any means, but they were they were getting more to that level where they could they could knock heads with Wisconsin for four quarters and hold them to 21 points or something like that. And you heard Bob Diaco the other day. He, he said it wasn't as much a mauling as he thought it was leaving the stadium Saturday night after he watched the film. He said it was more systematic breakdowns. I'll take him somewhat at his word on that because he knows a lot more about football than, than any of us do. But it did look at times like Nebraska was just spent like late in that game. And there's some guys who are playing a lot of snaps on that side of the ball. You know, Weber, Gifford, Carlos Davis has been out there almost all season long. And I think you're seeing the lack of that depth at certain spots um, hurt this team. And so that that was the part where I think people thought, oh, maybe the defense is on the rise. We know they're against bad competition against Illinois and Rutgers, but maybe this is a group that we can see uh, continue to grow, and that gives you encouragement going into next year. And now that's kind of a downer too, and that's why I think people are kind of bummed out the way they are. Yeah, I, I, I think that for the first time this year we saw the lack of depth up front. And, and I – I'll fully admit, I, mean, I think I mentioned this last week, that I felt like in, in 2016 that Nebraska's defensive line did hold up pretty well mm-hmm. against Wisconsin's offensive line. Um, but, you know, it, it was very obvious early in that game that you know this was not a game where you're going to see DeAndre Thomas a lot. Like, he's undersized. He's probably not ready for that kind of a, a physical game in the middle, especially going to get up against double teams at that nose spot. Um, so, I mean, you had Mick out there for a long time. You had the Davis twins out there for a long time. Freedom was out there and and that was basically it. Um, and then to be out there for, what was it? 13 and a half minutes in the fourth quarter when, you know, Wisconsin's just sitting there leaning on you. Not only that, but exposing the the secondary and having to make tackles when they just could keep attacking the, the, the gaps in, in that defense. So, it is tough, and I'll be curious to see how that group comes back. And, you know, the, the I think the point that Bob Diaco was kind of making, too, yesterday was, you know, look, it wasn't, you know, as bad as he thought maybe on film. And, and he kind of hinted at this, and I don't know if he, if he meant to or maybe I was reading too much into it. But, I mean, they didn't get a lot of help from the offense in that second half either, where, you know, even at the start of the fourth quarter, you're down 14, you're thinking that, you know, maybe the offense scores, they give you, you get it back to seven, and then Stanley Morgan goes out there and fumbles right, right. away. And it's, I mean, that that's the game right there. So it, it was it was a tall ask, I think, in that second yeah. half. But at the same time, I think we saw how much farther that group still has to go in that loss. Yeah, that, I mean, those are the plays, too, that's a fair point because it turns into a 38-17 game. If, if your offense gets it together – on a drive there. I know everybody had kind of given up on the game. It felt like in the stadium at that point, but that's where you have to be mentally tough as a group and say, no, we're going to fight this thing to the end. We're going to put together a drive. And it wasn't, this was just a really good play by the Wisconsin defender to kind of strip it from Stanley. But that's right. I mean, if the defense gets a shot at it with it being a 31 24 game and there's six minutes left and the crowd's all of a sudden like, Oh, they could still do this. You know that that's a different, whole different deal, and it, it so it is a team thing. You always got to remember that it all works together, and 
the offense uh, was inconsistent in the second half, too. Yeah, and, I mean, they did the defense no favors by not taking advantage of their play in the first half to score points. Mm-hmm. I mean, so then you basically you don't sustain drives in the second half. Your defense is on the field. You turn the ball over. You give them short field. I mean, it. Uh, nothing went well for that offense uh, in the second half, and that was a big part of why the margin of victory was as big as it was for Wisconsin. I think the thing that really blew me away was late in that game just watching them collapse Nebraska's edge defense the way that they did. Just the, the outside linebackers and the defensive ends, I mean, they're they're more than likely out of gas, and they're just getting absolutely collapsed inside to the, the, the nose tackle, the inside linebackers, and just opening up these huge, huge holes. Uh, Perello, one thing that he talked about, I mean, he felt like they've – They've rotated as well as they possibly could have, uh, you know, this year. I think that there's a, a double statement in that kind of remark uh, when you, you kind of phrase it that way, that you're, you've rotated as well as you can, meaning that there's maybe not as much out there for you to really rotate. So uh, it's certainly something to, to keep an eye on. There's not another team outside of maybe Iowa, maybe Penn State, that could sort of have a similar type of, performance with their run game um, in terms of just straight-up power blocking. I don't see Ohio State playing that way, only because they are a little bit more up-tempo, spread you out side to side. So it, it it's going to be interesting, almost really more interesting to me is Nebraska's mentality in this Ohio State game. What do they look like? Are they going to... Are they going to come out and fold if Ohio State scores on the first possession? Or are they going to, you know, hang in there for a half? Or is, is this game going to be over after the 10-minute the mark in the first quarter? I mean, I'm, I'm really curious because that is going to tell a lot of the fan reaction to everything. If this team sticks in there and fights until the second half, people are going to respect that. But if they don't, that's going to be a real sign and mark, I think, but really kind of the first time against Mike Riley. You haven't seen one of those games, in my opinion, where Nebraska just doesn't show up to play at all. I mean, maybe you could argue Iowa uh, last year, but for the most part, of course, Ohio State last year, but for the most part, you've seen a Nebraska team that's willing to battle. But I, I think there's a lot going on right now. It's what makes this game interesting. Yeah, I mean, the mind... The mind part of it is as interesting to me as the physical part now for the, not just this team, but the future of Nebraska football going forward. Because, you know, I mean, like this last week, when it was 17-all, they showed a shot of Hornerbrook and Christ on the sideline right after he threw the pick six. And the thing that stuck out to me about that sideline shot was how calm everybody was, and they are just talking it out, and you could tell they weren't overly phased by it. And then they just went out and they pounded out a 93-yard drive. And it looked like a team that has won a lot, that expects to win. And they a bad they know bad plays happen in football, but they expect the next play to be a good one. And unfortunately for Nebraska football, there's been so many woulda, coulda, shouldas, which we are talking about at this point, that now it's just a trend and it's who you are. And these guys, as much as we talk about the past in this state, Nebraska football has to learn how to win again. 
I mean, that's the biggest thing. They have to they have to learn how to, what it takes in those moments um, to be that kind of team that can shake off something when it goes wrong and then come back the next player next series and do it better. And it's just been an ongoing issue. And that's something you're going to have to fight within the culture of your program. And it's not something, here's the problem, it's not something I don't think you can easily fix right now in the middle of October in this season necessarily. You know, that's some that's a mindset that you're going to have to keep working on instilling all through the offseason in January. And, and that's why I suggested in that breakdown this week that at this point, I would make Wisconsin, since they're the bully in the West, I'd make them the face of what you have to be. I'm not saying that just try to be just like them, but I would want my guys thinking about them every day, every hour, and thinking about how the last 25 minutes they kicked your butt. You so know? like what Colorado did to Nebraska? Yeah, that's what I – and I hear, people used to laugh about that around here because they're like, oh, you don't – you know, that's kind of weird that you – put somebody on a pedestal like that but Nebraska football is in a different place now and everybody knows that but I think sometimes you just have to say it out loud and really acknowledge it like even when we talk about Iowa around here there's always kind of this dismissive talk about Iowa and that they beat Nebraska the last couple years yeah well Tommy threw four picks and this and that and that's true but last year Iowa Iowa just took it to Nebraska and you have to you have to acknowledge that at some point and and say this is this is truly where you are at as a program and and guys need to think about that every single day I think about well and it's interesting too I mean it's not just a it's not a a Mike Riley staff problem no. I mean it goes back well before that and it's it's almost kind of like it's it's like in the walls almost of of your program where you have to learn to win you have to expect to win and and then i I think that's when you start seeing those kinds of the five plays a game that decide a game turning over i mean think back to that iowa game two years ago i mean it it, it was pretty much a a a straight up draw almost Mm -hmm. and then you have two mistakes by nebraska and iowa wins that game pretty comfortably it, it, it's those types of kind of balanced deciding plays where the pendulum is going back and forth and you don't know where it's going to land that very rarely has seemed to have gone Nebraska's way in, I would say, probably the last five, six yeah, years. or longer, yeah. And I want to be clear, I don't think it's always because I think the easy thing is to sometimes say, oh, guys don't care or whatever. And I don't say – that's not the point I'm making. Sometimes guys – care so much that you're like stressing out to try to make you know you feel like I got to make this play I got to make this play we got to beat Wisconsin you've been hearing it for all week all year the last four years how you got to beat this team and when you have that sort of pressure you put upon your shoulders uh, sometimes you don't perform that well especially inside Memorial Stadium I think sometimes it's actually worse inside Nebraska's own stadium because you just feel the weight of the entire state and the the want for this to succeed, like just hovering over the field as they're playing. And guys guys have struggled with it. Not just this team, like you say. It's been years going, and uh, it's going to take something special to break through that. All right. Well, uh, 
do we want to get into recruiting after that game and uh, where Nebraska stands with some of their visitors that they had in? There were a lot of them. Let's let's do it. You over there watching Indians highlights? No. I'm over here responding to people on Twitter about things. Um, Stats department hard at work. (laughs) Uh, So basically, Nebraska had a multitude of visitors in for the the weekend, including Micah Parsons, TJ Pledger, Brian Hightower, and Tommy Bush, who were the four uncommitted guys. And then they had nine of their 11 commitments. And we can get into this at, at some point. David Alston committed on Friday of last week after our last podcast so we can discuss kind of what his commitment means and what it does for Nebraska's class going forward. But of those four uncommitted guys, I haven't had a chance to really catch up with Parsons yet. As far as I know, he hasn't really talked anywhere, and that's kind of indicative of what they've done after all of their visits. So um, we do know that the visits for everybody went pretty well, all things considered. T.J. Pledger, uh, particularly interested in Nebraska because of the opportunity he would have at running back. He saw that on the field on Saturday. Uh, He also likes the coaching staff. He likes the idea of playing with Brennan Radley-Hiles. Whether that's going to be enough to move him off of Oklahoma, kind of hard to say. At this point, I wouldn't suspect that that's what's going to happen. But, you know, Nebraska took their shot, and that's kind of where they are with it. They'll have an opportunity during the bye week, I would imagine, try to get back down to IMG. They've already been there once. Uh, And then they'll have those opportunities as coaches can go on the road at the end of the season and see how receptive he is at that point. You have the two wide receivers and Tommy Bush, Brian Hightower. At this point, I would say that uh, Tommy Bush is probably the more likely of the two. I think that Hightower had a fine visit. He didn't want to comment when I reached him on Sunday about how the visit went. Uh, Just said that at that time he wasn't ready to talk about things. And he's committed to Miami. He's going to take other official visits. I think that he's open to to looking at other places. But given Nebraska's current situation, and I, I think that's kind of where you are with all of these recruits, Given Nebraska's current situation, it's probably hard for him to jump on board at this time. Tommy Bush had a really good visit. It was his first time out to Lincoln. You know, his family was pretty impressed by what they saw and what was happening, what was going on in Lincoln. Uh, you know, the, the result wasn't what they, they wanted. But the big thing there, that family's pretty close with the Moore family. So as he goes about his recruitment, you have Joshua Moore in the background who – basically this weekend said that he's in with Nebraska as long as the current coaching staff is there. Uh, that's going to help them in terms of peer recruiting. So maybe not the weekend that anybody would have necessarily wanted given the result and, and really kind of how things fizzled out at the end. But they set themselves up well with a couple of those guys. They didn't hurt themselves with anybody. Uh, the atmosphere was on display. The environment was on display. The need for talent was certainly on display. It's just a matter of being able to convince these guys that Nebraska can build this thing back and that the current day product isn't what's actually out there for them. What was there in, in kind of talking to guys? I mean, was there anybody's whose comments were, you know, stood out to you or, or said anything that was, was pretty interesting? Uh, yeah. I mean, Joshua Moore's comment was, was pretty interesting about he addressed it. I didn't even really ask him, you know, where his commitment stood because I knew what answer I was going to get. And I'd asked him more or less kind of what the coaching staff was saying, you know, coming off of a, a three and three start. And he basically goes right into it as there's a lot of rumors out there and I need to address it that 
as long as Mike Riley is going to be here and as long as the staff, Keith Williams, is going to be here, this is where I want to be. I think that they're building something. I think that, you know, they need guys like me to come out there and be able to make plays and help them win games. I think that's evident. I don't think anything that he said is, is untrue. I mean, and that's the mentality of recruits. And people continually ask or wonder why guys are still committed to Nebraska in this current situation. And it's because they believe in what's going to happen next, not what, not what is happening right now. So he was probably the most interesting of them. Uh, it sounds like the environment for the recruits was, was really good. I mean, you saw them on the sidelines. They're hanging out there all together. You had nine of your 11 guys that were in. I mean, that are in your class, that were in for that weekend. It was a good opportunity for them to really bond. And the, the, the problem being is you really wanted to win that game. You wanted it to kind of be the, this is what we can do, this is who we are, and we're moving forward with it. And unfortunately, Nebraska wasn't able to do that. And so they've got to continue to sell. We know what we can be. We're just not there yet, and we need your help to get there. The thing about high school kids, I think sometimes – people forget yet yeah, some of these guys are on championship programs where they win every week I, I don't know what the records of all the guys who are committed in Nebraska are but some of them are also very familiar with being part of seasons where they were on a four and six team or something like that and so I don't know that the whole thing about if Nebraska is like six and six or something like that moves their needle downward as much as as much as the outside the public thinks it does sometimes. I just, I don't, I never get that impression whenever I've talked to kids, but maybe I'm wrong on that. It's usually, I mean, it's relationship driven. Yeah. So much of it. And I think people kind of lose sight of that. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the record matters, but from the standpoint of whether or not a coach is going to be there or not for them, not so much, you know, what the actual record is for that year that they're not even going to be on campus anyways. Because they think they're going to change it anyway. Right. They have that, ego which is good that you want that in a player right yeah that's exactly why you're recruiting yeah because you you want the guy who thinks he can come in and make that you want guys who look out at the field say yeah i'm better than that guy so of course we're gonna win more games when i get here you know but seemed like a productive weekend i mean if when you can get that group of guys in the town it would have been really nice to get a win with it and have that environment just be crazy in the fourth quarter like it was like after a michigan state game two years ago but um they got a lot of time with them on a game like that because it's a night game so uh and i think they the first half of that game was crazy the atmosphere i mean when it started and the 97 team came out and it was as electric as it's been for the start of a nebraska game in a while and so they got a taste of what it can be like inside that stadium for a big game. The other thing that I found kind of interesting, you know, they, they bring the recruits out on the sidelines uh, before the game. Um, saw a lot of commits who were there kind of peer recruiting who maybe don't normally do it or aren't as visual with it. You saw guys like Cameron Jurgens, who's a, a little quieter, um, but has been, you know, a long time commit in this class. Uh, really reaching out and finding guys who were who were visiting and introducing himself and, and taking the time to talk to him. Um, you know, Hank Bounds and, and Ronnie Green both were doing the rounds on the sidelines before the game, um, making sure that they found parents, having Nebraska staffers point out who guys were, introducing themselves, kind of uh, taking another opportunity to you know, meet those those families and, and kind of talk to them because you know there is a little bit of uncertainty right now 
not just with Mike Riley, but you don't even have a sitting athletic director. These guys are going to be the ones making the hire just to kind of say, you know, this is what, you know, what we have in Nebraska. This is what, you know, the, the things that matter to you, the academic stuff, all that other uh, bells and whistles that, that, you know, they sell to, to parents and recruits are still going to be there regardless of, you know, who the AD is. And, you know, they, they've done that a little bit. They were both, uh, Hank Bounds for sure was down there before the Rutgers game, but uh, both Hank Bounds and Ronnie Green, I saw him talking to a, a number of recruits and com- uh, visitors uncommitted and uh, commits as well just to kind of uh, put in some face time. Yeah, um, I mean, like we said, it's going to be an interesting situation going forward with Nebraska recruiting this weekend. They have Talanoa Hufunga coming in. They've got a couple 2019 guys and Max Duggan and Marcus Hicks, both four stars, one from Iowa, one from Kansas. I mean, these are the kind of guys that matter regardless of, of what's happening. I mean, you want to be able to show off the environment and the program, and it doesn't so much – always matter who the coaching staff is when you're talking about regional people because they're going to be recruits for anybody. But the point being, it's got to continue. They've got to keep working at it. They were able to pick up a commitment for the first time in a while with David Alston. First commitment since Cameron Brown, I believe. David Alston, a 3-4 outside linebacker from the St. Paul area up in the Twin Cities. Uh, Alston intrigues me because I think he's a sort of project build a linebacker type that Bob Diaco has had success with in the past and from the conversations I've had Nebraska is very excited about Austin he was higher on their board than several other more touted more highly rated on the services outside linebacker prospects or defensive end prospects they think his athleticism is unnoticed at this point and that he's got a lot of potential and room to grow and for them, really, I mean, you're talking about a guy with a six foot four frame that you can put some weight on. And if you think he can retain his athleticism and he can get after the passer a little bit for you and can play in some space, it's a no brainer. And he's not going to be the only outside linebacker you take in this class. They're definitely going after Parsons. They're still after Redmond. They're after Bo Calvert. They have Cameron Latow coming in for a visit later this year. I mean, they, they certainly want players to. Um, more players at that outside linebacker spot, but getting somebody like Alston allows you to really kind of build in the back end while hopefully getting somebody maybe a little bit higher rated that can play early in his career, and then you can have both on the field at some point. And it's interesting with Alston, too. I mean, he wasn't offered by Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota's staff was well aware of him. And I think part of that was the kind of prospect nature of, of his future where he there was some concern about how big he actually was I want to say that I mean the, the 6-4 number is a legit I thought he was six four and a half at a Nike event uh was closer to about 200 pounds than 225 but a uh, guy that plays basketball he's a multi-sport standout so uh, I think a guy that, that definitely um and, and especially I mean looking at his senior film a guy that's athletic can cover in space if he has to. I mean, it, I, I want to say there were like four or five highlights of him intercepting screen passes where he goes screaming after the quarterback, stops on a dime, jumps in and intercepts the ball. So th- that kind of versatility, I think, jumps off the, the, the film at him. And it's, you know, Nebraska's had success with guys like J.D. Spielman, who was also not offered by Minnesota, being in their backyards. And I think they're hoping they get one here too. Yeah, it would um... – 
Alston is, a, I, again, think a, a pretty nice addition and one of those that is uh, position-specific for this switch to the 3-4 and one of the reasons that you switched to the 3-4. So Nebraska will continue to kind of cover their recruiting. As always, you can check that stuff out at Nebraska.247sports. We've got full updates on more on Pledger, on Cameron Brown, Barrett Pickering, uh, several of the other visitors. And, you know, we'll have more updates coming here this weekend with some of those 2019 guys and hopefully Hafunga. So it's uh, it's not going to stop even as Nebraska, you know, struggles a little bit on the field. The recruiting keeps going throughout. Brunts, it is now time. Do we do we want to get into basketball? you want to get into fall baseball? Uh, let's say fall baseball for next week. They, they got the Red-White Series coming so up. We're doing a bi-week podcast. Bi-week podcast. We'll talk a little baseball, a little basketball. I'll be out there with my... Uh, a grab bag, if you will. Yeah, my. I'll be out at fall uh, the fall series with my iPhone radar gun per usual with guys throwing 212, 212 and yeah. stuff like that. Should we put a list of topics in a hat and then just draw it out, and that's what we're going to talk about at the given time in the podcast? Yes, and, and the one thing we didn't do in this episode, uh, as we're quickly running out of time, uh, we didn't do the blanket statements segment that we had promised last week where BC well, told us why. Well, think about it this week and uh, yeah. come back with that. I, I think that's that, that segment's got some potential. I mean, there's a blanket statement out there that Nebraska can't win this game even if they play perfect, one from Michael Bruns. Yeah, is that blankety enough? Yeah, that's a pretty big blanket. That'll cover you in the cold right now. Um, I think, I mean, I agree Ohio State's a big favorite, but this is college football and there's emotion involved. And, you know, you get you go plus three in the turnover category. And, you know, maybe Ohio State drives it down to the Nebraska 15 and throws a pick six that goes 90 the other way. Things kind of even out that way. And maybe your blanket is all wet. Yeah, it's all <laughs> wet blanket. Oh, don't let it get mold. Holy blanket. All right, well, I think that uh, blanket statement segment will conclude our podcast today. <laughs> uh, we might see if we can work that into our overall coverage at Nebraska.247sports.com. But even if we don't, you should check out everything else that's there. Plenty of practice coverage, some recruiting stuff. There should be some more recruiting stuff on the way for the upcoming weekend, a visit preview. All of that good stuff. Uh, how to win money on betting Nebraska at this point. Be fascinated to see how the expert gamblers approach a 24-point spread here from Sportsline. Uh, And you can get all of that again at Nebraska.247sports.com.